Welcome to True North Vineyard Podcast, where we share our Sunday gathering messages. True North is a vibrant church plant community located in Traverse City, Michigan area. We are centered in the Bible and follow the example of Jesus praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We hope that our Sunday gathering messages encourage you to lean into the word of God and compel you to take action. To connect with us, visit our website, vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. Well, if you are new or if you're going to be listening to the podcast, uh, my name is Jared. Um, My wife and I are the lead pastors here at True North Vineyard Church, and we just want to welcome you and thank you so much for coming and listening. Um, This week, we're going to be starting a series. Um, I didn't intend this to be a series. This was kind of a, an accident. I was talking to, to Zach and Jess early on, and we're like, we're going to do this cool little lead up to Pentecost. We're going to talk about the Father and what he did for redemptive history, and we're going to talk about the Son and what he did for redemptive history, and then we're going to talk about the Spirit. We're just going to end it on that. And then I read the text and realized I had three sermons and... <laughs> I've already preached three sermons at a time with you guys, and you're like, why are you talking about three things? So I've decided not to do that this time and just break it up into a series. So I'm hoping that we're going to cover quite a bit of ground. So I'm, I'm excited about it. If you guys will turn with me to your Bibles, if you have them, um, I'm going to get to Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13, so you can go there in your Bibles. I'm actually going to start in the chapter before, in chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, and then I'm going to go through the rest of it. So if you want to follow along, I have it on the screen here. We're going to start in Acts chapter 1, 5 through 8. Once, when he was eating, Jesus was eating with them. He commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore the kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit had given them this ability. At At that time... There were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking their own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Pergia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and areas of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. 
And we, are, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowds ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill this place, just like you do every time when we proclaim about Jesus Christ. Would you come and just empower us today, illuminate the text so that we can learn, open our hearts to receive, in Jesus' name. So, just to give a little bit of context to this story, um, we have to back up about 50 days. So, Jesus dies on Passover, and he's the Passover lamb, he is crucified, and he raises on the third day. And after his resurrection, for a span of about 40 days, Jesus goes around and appears to about 500 different people. And he's speaking to his disciples, he's teaching them about the kingdom of God, and he's presenting them this idea that there's going to be this dramatic moment. And the day before, uh, on the day that he goes up to heaven, he tells his disciples, hey, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't leave this space because I just told you that you have a mission, but don't leave it because the power of God is coming. And you remember that time that John the Baptist was telling everybody in the wilderness that I baptize you with water, but there's someone coming after me that will get baptize you with the Spirit? Well, that is about to happen. You're about to experience the Holy Spirit. So don't leave. Just go into Jerusalem and wait. And then Jesus does this dramatic thing and, you know, this moment where he becomes Superman and flies off into the clouds and they're all like, holy crud, he can fly. And then two angels are sitting like, hey, the same way he, can, uh, he left, he'll come back. So just go back and await his return and stay in Jerusalem until you get the thing. So they head back and they go back up to the upper room where they had been staying and uh, doing the Passover with Jesus. And so they begin to pray for 10 days. And on the 10th day, it's the 50th day, which is the word Pentecost. So we get the word Pentecost. Penta means 50. It's 50 days after Passover. It's one of the big festivals. So you have in the city of Jerusalem, you have all of these people from all over the world. You have all of these Jews who have been scattered about. Like, if you've been with us, we've talked about the Babylonian exile. So, like, when Babylon comes down and smacks Jerusalem, it takes all the Jews and splits them into their empire. And so, what you end up having is you have Passover, which is a big festival, and you have Pentecost, which is 50 days, of, uh, another festival 50 days later. So, people would come all over the world that are Jewish descent or converts to Judaism, and they'd come to Jerusalem and stay at Passover and then stay along into Pentecost. And so you have all these people congregating, and the Christians, the 120 believers that are upstairs, are praying, and all of a sudden, boom, there's this rush of wind, this loud thunder crack. It's like you have an F-15 flew over the head, and you have a sound barrier. I don't know. I'm exaggerating. I don't actually know that answer. But there's this loud sound that happens. And all of a sudden, there's like flames of tongues that come upon the heads of the believers, and they begin to speak in other languages. 
Well, this sound draws a crowd. There's a whole bunch of people that are like, what just happened? And they go, and now they're hearing the gospel preached to them in their own native tongue. They're hearing the glory of God that's happening, but they're not hearing it in Hebrew or Aramaic. They're hearing it in the, the tongue that they grew up with. And they're like, this is crazy. This is kind of weird. This is awesome. And some guys are like, nah, they're just drunk. The day of Pentecost is the day, it, it's a celebration day. Because the day of Pentecost is the day that the Father and the Son sends the Spirit to the church. That's what Pentecost is about. And so in this series, we're going to conversate about three key ideas that I see in the text. The first of which is the presence of God. We're going to talk about God's presence and what that means. The second one is going to be about the mission of God, how he sends us on mission in this text. And the third one is going to be about the empowerment of the Spirit, the empowerment from God. So before I jump too far and go into the text a little bit further, um, Jonathan, where's Jonathan? Okay, you have the microphone. Um, I want to ask this question, and I want, like, I'll tell that in a second. I want to know some stories about how you guys maybe have encountered the presence of God in your life. little short story, but has anyone ever encountered just God's presence that has just brought you peace or done something miraculous in your life? And if you would, we're going to pass the mic around. If you could stay maybe like under two to three minutes of the story, but I'd like us to talk about testimonies because I feel like if we talk about what the Spirit's done in our life, it builds this testimony. It builds this like if it happened for Jesse, it can happen for me. If it happened for Alan, it can happen for me. And so I'm wanting us to uh, just get some testimonies to hear what God has done in your life. Does anybody want to share a story? Yeah, I'll share one first. Um, so to keep it short, um, testimony, I remember I'm born and raised like in church. We've grown up together. And I went through my rebellious phase and stuff for a while. And I remember I was just sharing this with somebody last night and it impacted them where we're staying at. And um, I had a really bad drinking problem at one phase of my life where I would drink a bottle of whiskey or rum and like 12 beers a night. And I would do this three or four times a week. And I just was blacked out all the time. And I remember I was supposed to play drums um, at this new church for the first time. And I walked in and I lied to the worship leader and was like, oh no, I'm just sick. Like, I just don't feel good. I caught a bug. And I was just beyond hungover. I remember I was playing drums on stage and I just reached over to a bucket and I would throw up and it was, it was bad. And I felt so convicted and so guilty in that moment. And I know who the father is because like I've grown up like in church and I know this stuff, but I didn't experience what it meant to like, fully have the power of like the Holy Spirit come over you until that moment. And during that sermon, he was talking about the father's love and forgiveness and who he is for us as a dad figure. And, um, I just remember I was sitting in the balcony and I was just by myself and I'm crying. And I, all of a sudden he starts praying and I just held my hands out and I, I just said this prayer and it was like instantly I was sober and I, didn't drink for like six years plus. And it, drinking for me has never been a problem ever since. But that was like one crucial moment for me in my life where I was like, 
this is what it means when the Holy Spirit just comes over you and completely just removes that away from you. Yeah, that's awesome. Anybody else have? Yeah. You want to hand that over? One morning I went to work. It was 6 o'clock in the morning, and as I'm pulling into a hub, I'm, I'm a courier. I was a courier. Anyway, I went into to work at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I was a courier, and so I went in there into what they call a hub, and there's probably 60 other drivers in the same hub, and I was known as a guy that believed in Christ because I used to talk to people, um, and my boss's wife comes running up to the, the van, he says, Michael, can you pray for me? I said, sure. Why? He says, well, they just found my sister dead in her apartment, and they want to know if they give me, they're giving me to Wednesday. This was on a Monday. They're giving me to Wednesday to decide whether to uh, unplug her, basically. And I said, okay, sure. I'd be more than happy to pray for you. Normally, I would, I would wait until, the, you know, she's gone or whatever, and I would go ahead and pray and but at this time, I was I was felt like maybe this is the time I need to pray, and I just felt this 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 feeling of boldness that was uncommon for me, and so I started praying out, and I got a little louder and a little louder, started crying in the crowd, um, so they were listening to all this, and then I ended the prayer, and we all dispersed, and the next day when I drove up, um, Yami came running out to the van again. I said, oh, boy, I'm, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Maybe I'm getting fired. I don't know. But uh, she says, Michael, um, it happened. I said, what happened? She says, my sister, she's well. I mean, what do you mean by well? She's completely back. She was brain dead. She, now she, her brain functions really well. She's breathing, and they're going to release her on Wednesday. Yeah, that's awesome. And, yeah, I get goosebumps still telling the story. <laughs> so anyway, that's awesome. I have time for one more. Yeah. So my whole life, I literally spent trying to find any and every way to be happy without God. Spent 26 and a half years building a great pit of misery. Um, found out that Rock Bottom had a eight by eight steel shaft basement that was three stories down. And uh, was the only person that lost visitation to my daughter in the whole county of Lelina due to COVID, which ended up being the one moment that broke me down and made me go, God, if you're real, I don't know if you can hear me. I don't know that you would want to hear me, but if you're real, I need your help because I can't handle this depression and I can't handle this anxiety anymore. And I bawled my eyes out for the first time in probably 10 years for like five minutes straight. And when I looked up, I saw the clouds on an overcast day literally open up and the sun shined down on me. And in that very instant, I stood up and I said, you are real. And all of my depression and all of my anxiety was gone instantly. That's awesome. Just like that. That is so cool. Nothing else changed except I was honestly looking for God with my whole heart. That's awesome. What I want us to know, like right off the bat, is that the Holy Spirit is our birthright. And I don't say that in a, in a lenient way. What I'm saying is, as a Christian, God has given himself to us. He is the great gift. 
He is the one. He's like, he talks to, to Abraham way back in the day and says, I am your great reward. And God has now given himself to the church so that we can have him rest inside of us. And so if you are a Christian or if you accept Christ, that is what you are to have more than anything else. It's not wealth. It's, it's not material wealth. It's not blessings. It's him. The Holy Spirit is our reward. The Holy Spirit is our birthright. And one of the things I noticed about modern Western Christianity is we're not really taught that. If you grew up in a tradition, a lot of times it is, hey, just believe in God. Just believe that he's there and that he loves you. And that if you keep believing this story about God, then you're going to make it to heaven when you die or you know, you might live and Jesus will rapture you. So if you just believe, you're going to get to the destination. The problem is, is that is not the biblical story. It is not about, it's not about this intellectual ascent to get to a destination. What we're actually supposed to have is experience with the King of Kings because the Holy Spirit is not, he's come to live in you. The presence of God is not some far-off thing. God is not the God of deism in which he's just far and away from all of humanity. He's the present God who lives in us. And so faith is not blind faith in the reality of heaven. Faith is about seeing God interact in our life, in our family, for our friends, for the world. Faith is not about I'm going to heaven if I believe this. It's about, Holy Spirit, would you meet the needs of Mike? Would you meet the needs of Maddie? Would you meet the needs of Devin? Would you come and interact with us, meet our needs? Faith is about seeing God interact with us and for the sake of the world. My heart breaks every time I hear the story of someone leaving the faith because of this, of this random thing here. This, oh, I, my faith broke somewhere because of what my professor said. Uh, he broke down this belief system, this glass ceiling that I had, this house of cards of faith. And my hope for us today is to talk about what is Pentecost? What is it about the presence of God for us? Because that is the goal of Scripture, is that God would come and dwell with us. So I want to kind of roll back, and I want to tell the story of God's presence. And I want to make it make sense for us so that I can give a couple applications So I'm going to reel the story back to Eden. All of our stories begin at Eden. (laughs) But in the garden, or when God created the world, he created this world good. He created all of these things nice and beautiful and grand. But then he created a space that was unique. This was a space where God lived. It was called Eden. And he brings humanity into the garden. 
And it says that God walked among them in the garden. That same Hebrew word for uh, walking amongst them is the same word that we get when we're talking about the tabernacle and the presence of God coming into the tabernacle. And so what we understand is that this abode, Eden, is God's temple. Now, what is a temple? Well, a temple is kind of, it's an intersection between heaven and earth, that God's physical presence is actually on earth. The best analogy I have of that is like an embassy. So the United States has an embassy in all of the places in the world that we have relationships with. So if the United States has an embassy in Russia, that embassy that's, that's in Russia, that is no longer Russian territory. That is American territory. That plot of land is America's territory. So think of the temple like an embassy where God's presence reigns in that location. And this is where God is at. The commission that God gives humanity is that they are to be fruitful and multiply. That humanity is meant to have a family and to spread out into the entire world. When God put them in Eden, he had them tend to his space. Man was always meant to tend to God's garden. And what they were supposed to do is when they would go out, they were meant to take the garden with them. So humanity was always meant to go and fill the whole earth, but it was also to take God's presence with them. So humanity would spread to the world, and God's presence would fill the world. And so that was God's goal, is that his image and his presence would fill all things. But we know that this story ends in a tragedy, that, the, uh, that Adam and Eve sin and are exiled from the temple. They're exiled from his presence. And because of that, the world becomes broken. Things don't work out the way that God had initially intended. So we move a few books over. The next time we talk about the presence of God is in the Exodus story. And in the Exodus story, we see that God comes and he saves Israel, his people, out of slavery from Egypt. And he brings them to Mount Sinai and gives them a covenant that they will be his people and he will be their God. And that this contract they have is meant that they would be a kingdom of priests so that the world would know that Yahweh is the God above all gods. And that they, the nations would be so jealous because the people would keep the covenant so well that the nations would be drawn back to God. And this culminates in Exodus chapter 40, when they build the tabernacle, which is the temple, this mobile temple of tents. And in the temple itself, you have trees, you have lamps that look like trees, and they look like the Garden of Eden. And on the last day of the consecration of this tabernacle, the presence of God falls from heaven and smashes into this tent. And the glory of God fills the space and everyone watching is in awe. And they can't draw close because God's presence is so heavy. Now, Israel eventually gets into the land 
of Israel. They now are there, and David has become king. He's the greatest king of Israel. And now he wants to build a temple. He's like, God, you have this mobile tent, but you deserve a greater house. You deserve this grand temple. We want to build something for you. And God says, that is okay, but you're not going to build it. Your son's going to build it. And so when David dies, his son takes on his building project and builds this beautiful temple and this grand structure. And on the last day of its consecration, fire falls from heaven and takes over the sacrifices. And the glory of God falls and it comes into the temple. And it's so thick that no one can enter the temple because of the power of God. You see these theophanies, these moments where God comes and he consecrates this temple. But from that time on, Israel goes south. Israel turns away. They split into two nations, and the northern tribes turn away from God altogether. They begin to worship other gods, and they begin to worship other idols, and they turn away from Yahweh. And Assyria comes down and takes them into captivity. And eventually, the people in the lower area who actually have the temple, they turn away as well. And Ezekiel 10 and 11 share this story of this vision of God leaving on a chariot. He's leaving the temple itself, and eventually he leaves Jerusalem altogether. And we know this story ends with Babylon coming in and taking all the people in Jerusalem and scattering them into the nation. So when we talk about Acts 2, we have all these people now scattered to the empire. This is why they're there, because they gave up their hearts to other gods. They refuse to worship Yahweh. And so Yahweh says, pause. You're going to have to go out and I'm going to have to bring you back. But God is faithful and he promised to return and restore the temple. Ezekiel continues this storyline where at the last seven chapters of the book, we see that God is restoring the temple. And that from the temple, from the presence, comes this stream that turns into a river that smashes into the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea turns into Eden. It's the story of God's presence still doing what it's promised to do the whole time. That from God's presence, the renewal of the world would come, and it's still going to happen. And so Israel comes back into the land as promised. And there's messianic promises that a Messiah would come and deal with that very thing. And so Jesus shows up 500 years after this event. And he's baptized in the water and brought out. And the Spirit comes upon him. And the Spirit abides. That's temple language. See, in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come and then he would go. But this time he stayed. The presence of God stayed on Jesus. Jesus was now the temple. It says that actually explicitly in John chapter 2. When Jesus is going into the temple, there's these money changers and they're all trying to extort the pilgrims coming in and they're, they're robbing them of money by making the prices so high for small sacrifices. And Jesus gets so angry at these money changers for extorting money from these, these people that he builds a whip and begins to smack all of the sacrifices and all the sacrifices are uh, like stampeding out the area and he's kicking over the money changers' tables and they're like, what authority do you have to do this? Why are you doing this? How are you doing this? By what name are you doing this? 
And Jesus, who's standing in the temple, says, destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three days. And his disciples later will say that we thought he was talking about the temple, but when he died and resurrected, we actually knew he was talking about himself. When Jesus dies, he resurrects, and then he tells his people, not many days from now, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And when you do, you're going to receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the world. And on the day of Pentecost, the wind flows in, crazy noise, and fire comes from heaven onto the people. The theophany, you get it? He comes upon the tabernacle in glory and fire. He comes upon the temple with glory and fire. And now he comes upon his people with glory and fire. The presence now rests in the people of God. Peter will write in his first epistle in chapter 2, and he'll say that Jesus was the cornerstone of the temple. And we who are in Christ are being built like living stones into this temple. That is the point, that we are now the carriers of God. We are now the intersection between heaven and earth. You carry his glory. Here's a couple takeaways I want you to know. As Christians, we are the temple of God and we carry his glory. That means that God rests in human vessels. He has chosen you to carry his name. And therefore, we have an obligation to live holy and righteously, to love one another, to demonstrate who God is to the world. Because as temples, we represent his presence. We are to carry God's presence into the world because that is the fulfillment, is that this world will look like his world through us becoming the temple. The second thing I want you guys to know is we have intimacy with God. Because he's in you, it's not just an intellectual assent. We don't just get to think about things and theologize things and try to figure out these nice things to say. We actually get to experience this God who is now in us. When Jesus comes into your life, it's not just something that like happened and you're good. It is now you have God in you. You now get to live with his presence for the rest of your days that he gets to be your best friend. He gets to be the comforter when you're down. He gets to be your cheerleader when things are great. And he champions, he champions us into a good life. He walks through us with sorrow and pain. And he carries us as we walk through this, through this life. We get to experience him forever. And the last thing, and we'll actually hit on this in full next week is we are meant to fill the whole earth with more Christians so that God's glory fills all and all. This is why we share our faith. This is why we speak on behalf of God. Jesus has forgiven sins at the cross, and it's that very thing. When Adam sinned, he was exiled. That's the breaker of God's presence, is that sin came in Adam, and that was what restricted humanity from going back into the garden. And now that Jesus has removed sin, his presence can come into a forgiven vessel. It can now come to you. 
That is why we proclaim the forgiveness of sin. It's the end of our exile from God. I want to end with this statement. If you have not accepted Jesus or if you've accepted Jesus in your life, but you haven't understood the ramifications of what it means to be God's temple, there's a few things that I'd like you to consider practicing. First, if you're not a Christian, if you're in the room or if you're listening to the podcast, the first thing you do is you say, Jesus, I recognize my own brokenness. Would you forgive me for the brokenness I've allowed to happen in the world through me? You repent of your sin and you turn to Christ and you say, Jesus, I accept you as Lord and Savior. Would you send your spirit to indwell me? If you've been a Christian for a while but you've not experienced God, I'd ask you to consider this prayer every day. Come Holy Spirit, fill me and ask specifically for what you need from him. I would say that this has become a huge prayer in my own life, and I've watched other people do this as well, and there's a genuine change in the way that you live. There's a genuine change in how you think and feel. Come, Holy Spirit, would you give me peace today? Come, Holy Spirit, would you give me joy today? Come, Holy Spirit, would you give me evangelism to be able to reach others for Christ. Come Holy Spirit, would you just give me the ability to look for the one person that needs you? Come Holy Spirit, would you deal with this area of my life that I'm struggling in? Would you fix my finances? Would you help me with my marriage? Would you help me raising my children? When we come and we ask the Spirit to be a part of our life, He makes the hard burdens of our life easier. It doesn't mean that it's not hard. It's just easier. Jesus says that my burden is light. And he longs to come and take that heavy burden that's on your shoulders and give you his burden. So if you'd stand with me, I'm just going to go and bless you. And then we'll go ahead and change gears and go to the next part. But Father, I bless everyone in this room and I bless everyone that's listening. Lord, I pray that you would just fill them with your presence this week. That you would equip them with the ability to hear your voice, to experience your peace, to recognize your presence when it walks into their space. And Lord, I pray that you would just continually move their hearts towards you. As it says in James, draw close to God and he will draw close to you. I pray that over you. I bless you in Jesus' name. Thanks again for tuning in to the True North Vineyard Podcast. We hope that you are blessed by this message. To connect with us, be sure to visit our website at vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. We hope to see you soon.